from the dark web to your radio dial. You are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News 1200-WOAI. Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. This week, we're going to be talking about cyber risk management. Um, joined this week uh, by Brad Morrison, a CEO of a uh, consulting firm here in town. And uh, Brad, tell uh, everybody uh, about your company and uh, how you guys got involved in cyber. Sure. Thanks for having me on, Brett. Really appreciate it. So my background, I've been uh, chasing bad guys in cyberspace um, for a career as well, over 20 years. Um, I cut my teeth uh, working in the Air Force uh, information warfare domain. Uh, really enjoyed uh, that mission area and uh, saw with the adoption of information technology and ex- accelerating use uh, across business, our personal lives, uh, that uh, there's a tremendous future in, in that kind of career field. And uh, after the service, I, I uh, joined a firm. KPMG in Dallas, Texas, where I was in their information risk management practice and did that for a few years and then had an opportunity to start Innovate in uh, late 2003, early 2004. We got back to the roots of uh, supporting the Department of Defense in their cryptographic uh, mission domain. And uh, that's how the company got started. to this day, we still serve that customer base. Uh, we're diverse in 10 operating locations around the country. And uh, a- as you already alluded to, uh, we're largely a consulting technology services company where we hire really smart people in this space and put them to work on contracts, helping to uh, protect data that's both at rest and in transit. Yeah. So on this cyber piece, on CyberTalk Radio, we spend a, a good amount talking about the, the workforce development, um, talent availability. In, in your business, how many of the folks do you employ that need to have clearances for the work that they do? That's a great question uh, because our, our largest customer base is within the Department of Defense. Um, I, I would suggest to you that 90% of our professionals ha- have a, uh, a security clearance that allows us to do the work for these types of clients in these sensitive areas. Yeah, so if you're out there listening and you, you wanted to work on these things, you can enlist and go active duty. Uh, they'll take you through and get you a clearance there and uh, get you, you set up to do this. Uh, you can also uh, enlist directly into the reserves now in a new program through the Air Force. And uh, if you go to www.cybertalkradio.com, um, you can listen to a past episode uh, where we had Tech Sergeant Diami Baker on who handles the cyber recruiting for the Air Force, and uh, she talks all about a program where they've got 1,500 openings for uh, folks to come in. You'll go through uh, basic training, even if you're going to the reserves. Uh, you'll go on to some uh, tech training, so they'll uh, put you potentially even all the way through kind of an associate's degree level of training uh, where you'll get college credit as well. You'll get your security clearance and then uh, off to the reserves and you could go work in the private sector uh, except for one weekend a month and a couple weeks a year out there. That's a great program. Um, there's also another one, the U.S. Cyber Corps, uh, which allows uh, students who are enrolled at university to apply for a program that would scholarship them for two, maybe three years. And then after that, they have to serve our country as a civil s- servant doing uh, cybersecurity work for one of our government agencies. And that's another pathway that that comes oftentimes with a uh, security clearance as well. 
Yeah, yeah. So if you're going to uh, UTSA or um, any of the uh, other NSA certified centers of excellence we have here around San Antonio in this area, you can get into that cyber core potentially. And then from there, uh, you'll get a job out of school and you'll get that clearance knocked out while you're still in school. Because one of the the things that Brad and other folks out there trying to do serving the Department of Defense and uh, other clients that require clearances the, the, the words they, they don't like is bench time. It's where you have to hire someone and you can't put them to work yet because they don't have that clearance. That's absolutely correct, Brett. Yeah. So, so uh, during the, the program opening, we talked a little bit about the cyber risk management. You guys cover, uh, I think, a bunch of this in uh, some different programs you've set up and built. And mm-hmm. I mean, if you're the Department of Defense, in an ideal world there, you have an unlimited budget, pretty close to one, but you still don't necessarily have unlimited talent. So even at that level, you have to pick and choose a little bit of what you're going to protect and what you're not going to protect. As we get out into the private sector, I think some of the larger enterprises have done a pretty good job going through doing some IT risk assessment. Like you said, they engage the KPMGs. They may engage many other firms out there that that work on private sector IT risk management. As you get down into medium businesses or maybe many of the listeners out here that run and own their own shop, they've not ever gone through and done a, a cyber risk assessment. So can you help uh, explain to, to our audience, like, what is a cyber risk assessment? Is this something that even small businesses should be doing? Yeah, I think uh, that there's different material levels of, of doing risk assessment depending on the type of business you're in and the threats coming at you as it relates to digital and, and cyber risk. There has been a shift even within Department of Defense, Brett, that would suggest that avoidance is impractical and, and too costly. And it's uh, shifting towards definitely a risk management discipline where the commercial sector has done a very good job of defining frameworks going back to in the uh, Sarbanes-Oxley Section 404 audits. If you go back 20-some years looking at internal controls, they've always uh, looked at the materiality of, of issues related to information risk applied to a business practice uh, to keep that company as a going concern. And so what we've seen in, in our Department of Defense work is definitely a, a shift towards that type of a model as well, where you want to look at your operational business, if you will, and uh, determine what's most material and determine what systems and processes are kind of driving that core business and then start to look for the risk embedded within those core processes. And you may also want to look at it through the eyes of an adversary. And I think that's the other important aspect that we're seeing uh, a shift towards now. And this is something a small business owner could, could start to think about is the type of business they're in, who may have interest in the data that they're storing or processing. That's an important aspect of better understanding what you could do to address some of those risks. For example, we, we do a lot with uh, wire transfers uh, within our business yeah. to uh, payer vendors, subcontractors, and uh, we've put controls in place to assure that whenever there's a wire request to pay someone, that the bank actually calls us and uh, does things beyond just a uh, simple email, which is a definite uh, risk right now with uh, spear phishing and other phishing attacks that we see on a daily basis. 
And I'm sure a lot of the listeners out there that operate small to mid-sized businesses are getting a lot of emails that look a little hoaxy and uh, they just need to be uh, aware that, you know, that's going on. And, and so, you know, the awareness of the business they're in and the types of bad guys that may be coming out after them looking to open up a way to exploit those, those digital risks uh, are, are very important for, for people to maintain awareness uh, yeah. on. Yeah, I got spearfished my myself. Uh, well, I got it, uh, they one of my folks got spearfished with mm-hmm. the spearfisher pretending to be me. Yeah, uh, we caught that with with our controls. But one that I've I've seen get past folks' controls the actual sending of the wire transfer. Uh, a lot of there's the double off. There's a phone call. There's mm-hmm. these to update bank routing information on a payee. Um, sometimes the folks do not have the same level of controls on that. So say I'm a, a medium-sized company, and, and I know that as an attacker, I know that you pay another company every month, mm-hmm. and like they're just a big ongoing supplier of yours. I could spoof being from that supplier's accounts payable department and send over saying, hey, we updated our banking information. Can you change the routing and account number on the payee? And then through to the, the CFO or the VP in finance that approves and the business unit leader, they see, oh, look, we're going to wire or we're going to send out $300,000 to this company. We send 300,000 to every month approved yeah. Yeah. because that, that payee update did not trigger the same controls. The actual sending of the money did. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we we're seeing that basically the criminals are getting very aggressive. They're getting very creative and, uh, uh, you know, by maintaining awareness and understanding as to what's going on. And, and the, this is where a professional consultancy can come in and, and, and help, help you better understand um, the, the latest techniques and practices being used out there that could circumvent um, the things that maybe you, you already have in place, but think through um, very cautiously kind of what's going on out there. Nothing's foolproof. The other thing that uh, I think is very interesting when you look at risk management right now is um, this idea of resiliency, uh, being able to um, come back online if, if you were hacked for example. So what types of processes, procedures do you have in place to come back online if someone were to crypto lock your data store, for example? Do you have it backed up? Do you have basic things in place to come back online if and when you are hacked? And then look at maybe even the third-party risk aspect of how you could um, impact, let's say, your, your customers with your vulnerabilities. Um, That's another aspect that that needs to be thought about um, when you're, you know, in the course of business, um, how you could be used as a launching pad into someone you're connected to within that kind of business, kind of an agreement uh, transaction set. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's often where organizations that believe they are high security uh, get breached is that they have a partner and that partner they've granted a site-to-site connection and they pass through in a piece of uh, contract paperwork, hey, here's all the controls you have to have and that partner just signs it and doesn't actually go implement all the, the controls properly. And this is, is one, I think folks have the concept of business continuity planning or disaster recovery planning and they've done this for natural disasters. They've done this for many things outside the realm of a cyber attack. But it, it, I'm not hearing, um, at least in the medium and smaller businesses, folks going through and thinking about uh, what would happen, what would I do if I came in the, tomorrow morning and all of my computers were encrypted with ransomware? 
And it to me, maybe I'm just in a cyber bubble, but it feels like the odds of a, a business getting ransomware on at least one computer is is a much higher chance than the odds of the office catching fire and burning down these days. Oh, most most definitely. You know, you know again, if if you put yourself in the shoes of a bad guy, and uh, you know we're 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 talking about criminals, right? Yeah. And uh, you know these are people that want to steal your money, take things away that matter to you, to their benefit. Uh, they don't necessarily want to bring down the internet, you know, and that's another kind of point of conversation we could have. You know, they want to use it to exploit and to their benefit. And I think that's the difference between when you, when you look at government market versus commercial market. In the commercial market side, it's all about business risk and how material it is to your g- going concern to function properly, effectively take care of your business. And the bad guys, they, they want to go out and they want to bribe you. They want to steal your money. They want to take things from you that they can use to their benefit and resell. So those three things are, are definite risk points that need to be thought through and addressed. Uh, and basic practices like good password hygiene, backups, um, patching, you know, basic systems. You know, it's, it's fundamentals that, yeah. that get overlooked sometimes. And, and I know... Maybe we don't talk enough about the the fundamentals of good IT discipline and practice, which uh, would really help a lot. You just have to be faster than the average bear, yeah, <laughs> and and outrun the folks that aren't keeping up with those basic things. And the bad guys are are picking off uh, the folks that are completely left exposed and vulnerable. And so just being aware and 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 you know trying to be out in front as much as you can is a good practice and finding someone you can trust to, to help you through that process. Yeah. As, and we uh, saw, I think across the news out there about like the national health service in England about the, the manufacturing plant for Honda in Japan, both getting taken down by the uh, want crypt ransomware, which was a ransomware combined with kind of an internet worm um, spreading technology. And, those instances, um, there was a patch out from Microsoft uh, for all those systems for more than 30 days before that worm came out, and they've not gone through and done the the patching and the updating there. Uh, I mean, I think about some of this IT hygiene piece, as you say, is like going through doing these basic things. It's the equivalent of not locking the front door on your house, or if you know your your wallet and your keys got stolen, not calling a locksmith to change the locks. Yeah, that, that that's exactly a, a, a very good point that you know, I think we're we're having to get to back to basics. Um, we see that um, part of our kind of solution package is we lead with uh, simply training, making sure users are aware of the environment they're dealing with right now. That's more on the commercial side of things. But starting with uh, training folks and testing their awareness as it relates to, hey, this looks suspicious, report this up the chain, um, those basic things are, are very important and, and frankly, very cost effective yeah. for, for a small to mid-sized company to, to get their arms around. Um, as you move up the food chain and you move into the mid-market space, uh, which is where we deal with on the commercial side m- more than the small, um, there is um, uh, issues r- looking at um, data exfiltration um, of uh, proprietary information that that we're seeing 
and uh, looking at right now. There's some very good tool sets out there, but what we find the practitioners kind of going back to the uh, workforce, you know, a tool is a tool, but it takes uh, professional trained, uh, experienced people to, to use those tools to put them in place to really help these businesses address some of these risks. And that's the other thing that we find often uh, businesses will invest in a tool, but they don't really have the backbone of people to carry out the actual functions of operating that tool effectively to address these risks. And that's another kind of domain that I think we need to talk more about. Um, th there's a lot of discussion oftentimes around tools, but it's really about the professionals and the people using the tools and the processes to help these, these customers out. Yeah, I mean, I can see many companies will go out and they'll spend $25,000 on a new uh, pair of uh, firewall and, and intrusion prevention devices, uh, but they won't send their lead security person to a $10,000 training class. And that $10,000 training class may give them enough skills to take the existing firewalls and security devices they have and secure that environment better than spending 25000 on shiny new equipment. And it's it's very hard to... to pay and budget for the, the right expert as well. Yeah, There's just not enough of them out there. It's a supply demand issue right now. And so I think you're seeing companies look at a managed services approach because of that, where they can buy a fractionalized uh, virtual chief information security officer with kind of a built out program that comes with the tools and the processes baked in. At least that's what we're seeing. And uh, we, we've built a program uh, that kind of bundles that expertise with uh, some really powerful tools and insight to do this on a kind of a monthly basis um, for clients that can't afford a full-time uh, chief information security officer and they don't know where to begin and you know simply just buying a tool if they're an IT director or a CIO that's not really going to cut it for them so they're coming to us and and uh, companies like us and we're seeing that as a trend as well out there. For many of those organizations, as you, you noted, even if they wanted to hire a CISO, there may not be one available. Uh, it's probably a, a good practice to uh, have a firm on uh, for a fractional part-time, even if you do have one, because uh, while you may have one in place today, um, if that one person uh, decides to, to move to another city, they decide to take a job with another company, uh, how long would you want to operate as an organization without a CISO in place? If you've got that fractional partner as a backup uh, to that, this is just back into the continuity and risk mitigation planning. This is uh, thinking through all, all of those scenarios that come up. Uh, you may It may take you six months or a year to hire another person, and you would you want to be without um, someone for that point of time? Uh, and would you uh, want to try to then have to scramble to bring a firm uh, on board and in place while you, you run that full-time executive search? Uh, not an ideal scenario to be in. And this is, uh, I think, one of the things that the, the military does very well, and I've, I've not seen us go out into the, the private sector with this, but it's um, actually running like a, what I'll call a tabletop simulation, but go we're running some real drills. I mean, we might have uh, OSHA requirements that make us have a floor warden and we do fire drills for the building again, but there's no requirement to do uh, cyber attack drills uh, as a private sector company. Yeah, I, I I would agree with that. How, however, we are starting to um, sell more of those types of um, assessments, if you will, 
where we simulate a phishing attack for a client. They ask us to do this. Yeah. And we exercise. And so the, the model is we go in and, and give them the, the training on uh, the hygiene aspects, what they should be looking for, what they should be doing online or not be doing. And then we actually go put them to the test. And then we repeat the the uh, um, the, the training for those that, uh, frankly, were exploited. <laughs> yeah. Uh, during that exercise, if you will, so I do think there's there's some uh, risk managers that that are getting it right now, and it's just taking time, Brett, to to get us to a point where there there's more of an awareness that the cyber thing is a big deal. It could be material to a business, and. Uh, you know, it is very interesting to see some of those wargaming exercises that are played well on the DOD side um, find their way into the commercial market. You know, a lot of the uh, CISOs that you do see out there um, have a military background or, or did work for an uh, agency that uh, was involved in this type of business. And so not only do you need to have the technical understanding, but they also need to understand the risk and the, and the business aspects as well. And uh, that's where some of the the, the larger consultancies uh, b bring that as well. So as you move up the food chain, you know, I, I would highly recommend uh, seeking out, you know, some of those types of professional advisors that um, can really cover down on this risk in a significant way. Yeah, and it's a great idea to do this work ahead of time. Uh, it's much easier to do planning, and it's much easier to put policy in place and to test this stuff yourself than it is to be trying to pick up the phone and call somebody like Brad or others um, in the middle of an incident saying, hey, we haven't done any of this stuff. We now have a mess on our hands. Can you come in and clean up the mess as it's active? Yeah, most definitely. The uh, obviously budget aspects uh, factor into this. Uh, cybersecurity is one of those things where it was baked largely into the IT organization, which is viewed as a cost center. And it just recently ha has been kind of moved up to where it's a board level discussion. And because of the material uh, aspects of, of what a cybersecurity breach um, could do to a firm or a company, uh, I think uh, that we're finally seeing some budget being allocated. Uh, obviously, in the fortune companies, it's been there for some time, but now it's it's starting to trickle down into the, the small to mid-size where they realize that, yeah, we've got to do something about this. That's unfortunate because, you know, I'm a business guy too. And, uh, you know, any time that you've got to um, allocate, uh, you know, money uh, to, to apply to something that you didn't anticipate, it's not a fun thing, right? So, so how are you going to adjust your pricing models to cover down on these risks yeah. and, and stay in business? And, and so we, we also appreciate that. And so one thing that we've done as a company, we, we've tried to right-size our cybersecurity managed service uh, offering to um, understand that uh, a lot of our clients did not budget for these types of things, and we're trying to get them into a uh, better habits incrementally, knowing that they can't just throw a bunch of money at the problem right now. So there's some basic things that they can do, like training, like some uh, very compact exercises, and then they can take the results and address their organization with that information. And I think that's the responsibility of the cybersecurity vendors out there 
to really put yourself in the shoes of these customers where cybersecurity is not, it, it was not top of mind for a company 20, 25 years ago, and it's kind of been creeping up on us. And just over the past five years, I think we've really seen an explosion of the bad guys trying to exploit businesses in this way, forcing a business to react and spend money on these things, which they frankly didn't anticipate. And so it's on us to figure out more creative, cost-effective ways to help these companies get their job done. And if we do that, we'll be acting as a good steward, I think, of this industry and in the best interest of our clients. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break for news, traffic, and weather here at the bottom of the hour. Uh, we will continue on Cyber Talk Radio with more discussion about cyber risk and uh, how uh, you should be thinking about protecting your business, whether you happen to own it. Uh, or whether you're an employee uh, in that uh, IT security organization or just anywhere inside the company, what you can do to help uh, keep the business safe. Welcome back to Cyber Talk Radio. Uh, if you're just joining us here after the uh, bottom of the hour break, I'm joined this week by Brad Morrison, the CEO at Innove. They're a cyber risk consulting firm. They uh, serve really large organizations uh, such as the Department of Defense uh, down to uh, medium-sized businesses in the uh, commercial sector. So if you're uh, interested and out there uh, in getting some help around cyber risk management or mitigation, you can uh, reach out to Brad and his team. You can also uh, listen to the first half of the program where we talk about that topic in depth on our rebroadcast. It'll be online on Tuesday morning. It'll also be on iTunes podcasts and Pocket Casts on your Android device. You can learn more about all of this on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com. Hello. Thanks again for uh, joining us, Brad. And we, we talked a good amount, as I said, about that cyber risk piece. Um, but in uh, San Antonio here, uh, you're involved in uh, more than just running a business with our cyber community. Yeah, Brett. So uh, I also have the honor and privilege to chair the uh, San Antonio Chambers Cybersecurity Council here in town, and I'm honored to do so. San Antonio is a special place for the cybersecurity industry. Uh, the roots go back well before uh, cyber was was in the vocabulary, um, tied to the Department of Defense mission. Information warfare kind of grew out of what was happening here in San Antonio all the way back into the, the World War II era yeah, and forward. And uh, I've, I've had a, the good fortune of being involved in that and now chair this council um, where we're trying to help San Antonio grow its prominence, not, not only in this region, but, but around the country and all the unique things that we offer to companies looking to start a business here, grow a business here, or maybe even relocate a business from outside the state to this, this great place we call home, San Antonio. We've got some really exciting initiatives underway. The council is made up of about five or six uh, committees that um, are operating. One of the unique things that we're doing right now is around economic development. And uh, last year, we uh, uh, stood up a formal cybersecurity incubator, BuildSec Foundry, with the support of the Austin Technology Incubator, and ATI looked at San Antonio as the place to stand up the cybersecurity incubator, 
And uh, we're excited that we've launched that and we have four portfolio companies now in that incubator. So that's one big part of our economic, economic development initiatives. The other part, we work with the Economic Development Foundation here in San Antonio to get the word out uh, around the country and around the world that uh, San Antonio it, it could be a great place to call home because of our access to um, cybersecurity professionals leaving the military as well as uh, attached to uh, our IT enterprise base here in this region. It's a great place um, to find that talent and put them to work right here in the Alamo City. So that's another big part of um, what we're doing around economic development. And then last but not least, it's growing businesses like ourselves and uh, Jungle Disc that uh, call San Antonio home already and ensuring that we can plug those businesses that are already established into this ecosystem and help them grow. And that's exciting. Um, so we've, we've come up with three kind of themes this year, hire local, grow local, invest local. And that's what we're doing as a uh, council. And it's been a, a fun ride so far that, to be involved with that. Yeah, we had County Commissioner uh, Tommy Calvert on the program, and uh, he's a, a big believer in all the cyber things that uh, we have going on here. Uh, he had kind of issued a, a challenge out on the air that if you're a uh, CISO of a, a Fortune 500, that you should have a security operations center here in San Antonio. When you think about um, the risks out there um, to a large business, when you think about uh, potential escalation of a larger scale cyber warfare effort from a, a nation state actor, um, San Antonio is on the Texas utility grid. Uh, San Antonio um, has uh, very active, the largest cybersecurity meetup group, the Cyber Def Dojo, but our, our Alamo ISSA chapter, um, the ISACA here, many of these different groups, uh, in the event that you need to get people together in a physical room um, in the time of crisis, if you've got an operations here, you're going to be surrounded by other professionals for information sharing. Uh, if you're off in your headquarters city and you're the only Fortune 500 there, you may be very lonely in a time of crisis. Very good points. And it, you know, it goes beyond just the technology know-how here in town and what we're growing K through 12 into our universities and then also experienced professionals, like I said, coming out of the military ranks. Um, San Antonio is a great cost-effective place to bed down a sock. And, uh, you know, there's, there's good clean energy here that they can plug into and take advantage of, uh, ample space to grow. And, you know, I think we've got all the right parts and pieces that um, these types of companies w would look to to kind of make it all happen right here in San Antonio. Yeah. Because I mean, this is, is getting to the point where if you're a, a large enterprise, you have multiple R&D locations, you've got multiple logistics and supply chain teams across the country uh, so that you could withstand uh, an issue at, at any one site location. But even many of the biggest players still have a single security operations center. They may have a backup network operations center somewhere, but they're not standing up a second um, cyber security team at this point and because they're having a, such a hard time on the staffing of the first one. Uh, but that, that risk uh, across an organization is becoming um, ever much more so uh, on the, the cyber side of things. I know as I get out and talk with banking executives these days, they're uh, – 
uh, much uh, more focused on the uh, criminals coming in over the internet than they are the criminals coming through the front door of their bank with uh, with weapons these days. Yeah, that very good point on the on the bank side of things. I, again, I think it's uh, we're dealing with cyber criminals on the commercial side of things right now, that where they're trying to use information technology and the internet to uh, basically rob us of of monies and our intellectual property. The uh, the other thing I was going to say as it relates to what the chamber is trying to do uh, with, with with respect to cybersecurity, um, because of the importance of the military cybersecurity mission and how San Antonio plays in, in, in that mission, you've got this kind of emerging kind of upstart community of build sec foundry companies to small to mid-sized cybersecurity oriented uh, firms. And then you look just right up the road to uh, the state of Texas in Austin and the emphasis they're placing on growing businesses here in the state, um, it really does create a very powerful combination of, of things that uh, we at the chamber um, think that uh, businesses will be better off for it, our own businesses, as well as those looking to come to San Antonio. Yeah, and, so. and that uh, public-private partnership and the, the collaboration uh, with the the Department of Defense and the other agencies here in town in the private sector is is very extensive. I think uh, it's not just the folks that are directly employed by the Department of Defense or the NSA or the FBI cyber that's here and then their families live in town and they economically contribute by going out and spending. Uh, all of those organizations work with private sector specialists uh, in all of the missions that they do. And many of those private sector specialists are headquartered here in San Antonio. The business owners live here. Uh, they're building and growing businesses here, and then they're getting involved in and, and, and giving back to the, the community um, that they're choosing to, to raise their family in as well. Yeah, and, and quality of life is a, is a big part of, you know, um, attracting the best and brightest uh, to this industry that, that requires a lot of intellectual capital. And uh, we offer so much in that regard, uh, whether it's uh, affordable housing, um, good roadways. Uh, I spent quite a bit of time uh, two weeks ago back in the Washington, D.C. area and was uh, caught up on the Beltway <laughs> yeah. for hours upon hours. And, uh, you know, we, we have our own traffic problems uh, on some corridors, but for the most part, it's nothing like you would find yeah. in, in the uh, Washington, D.C. metro. And, you know, the other thing, too, because of cybersecurity being uh, virtual, uh, it's important that you can't concentrate any one source of uh, expertise in, in one location. So uh, with San Antonio kind of carving out its niche in, in, in cybersecurity, um, we can definitely bring value um, to those concerns and companies that operate, whether they're on the East Coast or West Coast. It's a good central location, and uh, we'd love to have them. Yeah, and uh, for for those uh, folks, you were talking about the traffic up in the Beltway. I I moved here from uh, the Bay Area uh, back in the after the first uh, tech boom. I uh, was working for uh, SBC, the phone company at the time, um, and uh, I flew out here and uh, went and tested the drive from I ten into downtown and two eighty one into downtown, and I got in and um, this was when the I ten four ten interchange was under construction. And I got into the office, and they're like, wasn't that drive on I-10 just terrible? <laughs> and I, I, I literally, I think as I was going under that I-10-410 interchange, it was in construction. We were probably going 25 miles an hour, but I was laughing. 
because um, like it, it, this is the, just a, a matter of perspective is the the folks that were around me in the car were so angry to be going I could see it on their face to be going 25 miles an hour on a freeway my if I was going 25 miles an hour on a freeway in the the Bay Area um, back during the, the internet boom there I was really happy um, I had to plan I had about a, a 20 mile drive if I was going to go down to Cisco's campus and I had to plan for three hours for that 20 mile drive <laughs> um, to go down and visit Cisco so it just and those those were 20 freeway miles everybody uh, listening here in San Antonio if you imagine going from downtown out to I-10 and 1604 to Lock and Terra if that took you three hours we we would have uh, uh, riots at City Hall. Yeah. yeah, the other aspect that we haven't talked about in, in this context is the support we do have from the city uh, itself as well as the county and their support of this industry. It's phenomenal. They understand how important it is um, to the community, and they have uh, developed incentives uh, specific to um, – not only attracting companies here, but keeping companies here. Uh, they have, uh, for example, a, a Small Business Innovative Research SBIR grant match program, which is exciting for, for defense-oriented companies that get those government grants in cybersecurity. They will match basically what the government provides in that. Um, there's uh, really neat spaces now in the tech district just popping up. You know, we're here at... Uh, geeked them today uh, which is uh, really cool to see the this type of concept take off in downtown San Antonio you've got the new tech high school coming in there's a lot of energy around you know this particular area um, and what we're doing and uh, again you just see the uh, combination of what's happened with the military cyber mission area coupled with what we've done uh, in the university system here in San Antonio to kind of uh, bring up the cybersecurity discipline um, and then all these other small to mid-sized businesses in the ecosystem uh, trying to build and grow and, and add more jobs to, to the local economy and, and that creates the tinder necessary to see this thing thrive not only now but in, in hopefully decades to come. Yeah, and and I mean, just more examples of the uh, the good collaboration between uh, the business leaders in the area here, uh, and the the city and the county, and and the uh, Department of Defense. So, going way back now, uh, when the the Kelly base was closed, instead of just shuttering everything, uh, there was collaborative uh, effort there to turn that into what is now Port San Antonio. Uh, and you have uh, 80,000 square feet of skiff space getting uh, built out there right now for uh, cyber companies to collaborate and work with uh, the 24th and 25th and uh, anyone else that wants to be out there that needs a classified mission space to be, to, uh, be able to operate. It's exciting to, to hear and see what the port is doing. And again, the support of the community to uh, excite that initiative down there, um, Brett, is really gonna gonna help uh, the businesses involved in in Department of Defense contracting um, they're building out skiff space which is secure space to do things that you can't do in regular office space like like here and do it for customers that require a uh, very sensitive kind of processing and storage of data and the port heard that and they're running with it and they have the full support of the community behind that. And so that's very comforting. And 
again, I would encourage companies that may be based on the East Coast, uh, caught up in the craziness of the Beltway, to consider San Antonio a, as a really interesting place to, you know, maybe move to. And we can accommodate the needs that they have there right here in San Antonio, the great cost of living and, and a great place to, to live and work. Yeah, and you can see uh, expansion of some of those uh, companies from uh, up in the D.C. area as well. Uh, Delta Risk has an office here. Mm-hmm. Um, they're predominantly up in that uh, mm-hmm. beltway in the Virginia Triangle up there, but uh, they've expanded down here, and there's a, a number of others. Uh, we've uh, had some of the folks from Delta Risk on the program. Uh, if you did want to learn more about Port San Antonio, um, you can uh, go on to www.cybertalkradio.com or uh, on your uh, iPhone to uh, iTunes Podcasts or on an Android device to Pocket Casts. Uh, look up uh, CyberTalk Radio and uh, Port San Antonio. Uh, Jim Persbach we had on from uh, out there and goes into all sorts of details uh, about what they're doing uh, with that space and uh, how as a business you could get involved or if you're looking for employment uh, in the cyber world, the port even runs a, uh, a job board now which is ever growing on the cyber side. They also do a lot of aircraft maintenance and other things out there but you'll see now the uh, cyber jobs up on their job board are starting to uh, maybe even outnumber the uh, aircraft maintenance jobs these days. You're listening to 1200 WAI. This is CyberTalk Radio, and I'm your host, Brett Pyatt. I'm joined this week by Brad Morrison, a CEO at Innova, and he's also the uh, chair of the uh, Cyber Security Council at the Chamber of Commerce here in uh, San Antonio. Uh, Brad, if folks wanted to learn more about that Cyber Council, which chamber are we talking about and where would they go? Uh, that's a great question, Brett. And, uh, you know, we're actually a lot more cohesive in San Antonio, maybe what what, what it seems. Um, we, we, we talk a lot amongst ourselves, all the different chambers, but I'm attached to the uh, San Antonio Chamber of Commerce. It, it's, uh, I think, one of the oldest chambers in our, in our country. And uh, they could basically Google San Antonio Chamber of Commerce, and uh, the first link there will be the, uh, the chamber link. And... Uh, we have a great director, uh, Will Garrett is his name, I believe he was on your program uh, a few weeks back. And uh, he, uh, he does a great job of connecting people into the organization and we could find a committee for, for folks to serve on. Again, we, we cover uh, a multitude of issues, um, whether it's uh, investing in local companies, if you're looking for job opportunities, uh, we can connect you in there. That's part of our higher local initiative and then the grow local is making sure that we um, raise the awareness and put the spotlight on commercial contract or government contract opportunities that are ready made for all these great cyber businesses here in the local ecosystem yeah i just uh, participated in a a meeting myself as we were uh, talking about um, some of the companies like mine who primarily uh, sell to the private sector uh, about w- what would it take for for us to get the the products into the uh, the public sector, whether it's state, local government, or federal government, or on into Department of Defense, and um, the chambers working on some things um, along with the port for maybe a cyber proving ground um, that's kind of getting up and going to be able to test products and many of these things. So, um, if this stuff is of interest to you, uh, the meetings are is it the first Tuesday every month? It is. It uh, is. First Tuesday of every month, uh, we typically meet at the Northside Chamber uh, office uh, at Blanco and 410. Uh, this month, however, um, we, we're going to be at the Port of San Antonio uh, listening to Jim Persbach uh, describe uh, 
in detail the the plans for the uh, the new secure facility there at the port of San Antonio so exciting times I uh, would love to have the, the folks listening join us if they want to uh, it's a dynamic organization we're always looking for for great people that want to roll their sleeves up and improve themselves and improve their businesses yeah so again if you uh, just uh, go uh, on Google or Bing or DuckDuckGo, depending on how paranoid you are, uh, and look for the uh, San Antonio Chamber of Commerce. You'll find information uh, about the uh, Cybersecurity Council there. And it's been it's been um, around for eight years now or nine years. Yeah, we we just recently were appointed a council, uh, which is you know one of these nuances. I, again, my day job, I'm 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 in business for myself, but. Um, the, the chamber is organized uh, into councils, and uh, the Cybersecurity Council was, was formed up two years ago. It was a committee, a subcommittee under economic development. Now we stood it up as its own because of its importance in San Antonio. And uh, this happened under the watch of our, our chairwoman, uh, Renee Flores, last year, great visionary person uh, leading us in, in these kind of endeavors. Now Red Weaver's kind of taken it and uh, we've continued on this year and have a very active uh, group of folks on this uh, council. So, uh, If you're uh, just joining in now and hearing us talk about the uh, Cyber Council uh, at the Chamber here in San Antonio, uh, on this whole uh, episode we uh, covered uh, cyber risk uh, and thinking through uh, how do you defend uh, yourself, because uh, uh, no one can actually afford either budgetary-wise or talent-wise to secure everything. This is uh, one where you uh, should get out there if you don't have the expertise in-house to engage with an expert like Brad uh, or or others, and from there, uh, really map out what do you need to defend. Because, uh, like, if you think about this just from a a Texas perspective. I've got a, a front door. It's made out of glass. It's got a padlock and a deadbolt and things on it, but you could probably break through my front door. But then there's other things inside the house that are secured in a safe. Um, and that safe is a second level of security that you don't have uh, with your front door. Same thing goes in your IT world. There's systems that have data that maybe you should do some reasonable things to secure. Um, that good hygiene stuff Brad talked about in the first half of the program. Uh, quite a bit. If you, you go beyond that, uh, some other things require more than just good hygiene. They require good hygiene and armed guards. And there's the equivalent of armed guards on the internet. Uh, you can have a security operations team. If you can't afford to employ one yourself, you can get a virtual one for you. And that virtual team uh, will keep 24-7 watch, just like getting uh, a security alarm company for your house again. Like if somebody does break that front door, if you've got an alarm guy, then someone's going to show up in a couple of minutes. If you don't have the alarm guy, somebody could break in your front door, and until you got home from work at the end of the day, no one's going to know that anyone's been in your house. So as we, we mentioned cyber risk, and I, I think we've everyone talks a lot about finance. We did a little bit on this program. We talked uh, some about uh, health care um, to a certain extent. But uh, at, at the board level, as you're out there having discussions with clients, uh, what industries are you uh, seeing that are thinking about this now in board meetings? Great question, Brett. The uh, what we're we're now seeing out there uh, because uh, cybersecurity is on the front page of the Wall Street Journal day in day out now. It, it really is. Um, it's phenomenal the press that it's getting. I think every industry is starting to wake up and say, "Well, how, how does this apply to me?" And so, if you're not necessarily in the the traditional um, 
high risk kind of domains of, of finance or, or healthcare, um, the CEOs are hearing this over and over and it's being reinforced out in media, all types of media, that um, we need to wake up and, and start understanding what's going on here. And so in our particular case, we're uh, serving uh, other critical infrastructure kind of clientele outside of uh, healthcare and finance that um, are in the business of supply chain moving goods, yeah. right? Uh, transporting things that, w- that we eat, the clothes we wear. And uh, they, uh, they're finally understanding that a disruption of supply chain uh, as it relates to uh, a cybersecurity breach that could disrupt that supply chain uh, could be material to them. And so, you know, it, it really permeates every kind of business that you can think of right now because if you look at how IT is, is uh, a part of our daily lives, you know, you, you've got a phone in front of you. I've got a phone in front of me. My kids have phones now. Um, we, we can't escape technology. Uh, the mobile revolution is here. And because of this, how we live, work, and play, and how digital transformation is impacting every part of, of those things, we're unfortunately going to have to deal with the cyber risk now. And that's going to span everything from your personal home finances to uh, every type of business that's leveraging uh, software automation to do their job and work. And uh, so like it or not, you know, I think it's, it's uh, going to impact everything. And, I, and we're starting to see that cut across multi- a multitude of industries. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's getting to be everywhere uh, at this point. So thank you very much for uh, joining this week. Thank you uh, for uh, as well for uh, uh, volunteering because you don't get paid to uh, do that work for the uh, Chamber Council. Uh, we appreciate it, and uh, it's uh, very valuable to help us uh, build and grow our community here in San Antonio. I appreciate it, Brett. Thank you again.